Well, good morning, church. Um, Fidel, just thank you so much um, for what you do. Just thinking of that, and it was interpreted Casa de Esperanza as the house of hope, and just how the Lord uses you uh, to give hope to so many. So, thank you. Well, for a guest, my name is Rick, and I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Now, our lead pastor, Tim Merwin, is in Columbia, and will be returning this week, and he'll be preaching next week, starting off our summer series, Psalms of Joy. Um, let's pray for our morning uh, message. Oh, Father, your word in Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So, Father, I pray that your preached word this morning would open blind eyes, awaken dead hearts. Would you change each one of us for your glory? Holy Spirit, be at work in us this morning and help this weak vessel to faithfully bring your word. May we all be, leave this morning praising and worshiping with glad hearts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all our praise. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, this morning's message is entitled, A Gospel Community. As we are now coming to the end of Paul's first letter in the church at Thessalonica. In this letter, Paul has reminded the Christians they are to see their trials and suffering from the perspective of the second coming of Jesus and the hope that that provides. Church, that hope is the basis of our encouragement to one another in our gospel community. In our text this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28, Paul is turning his attention once again to the life within the church, how we should conduct ourselves. John Stott called this section Christian community or how to be a gospel church. You see, the church is described as a family in the New Testament. As a family, we are to treat each other as brothers and sisters. Now, it could be easy to look at this, these verses as a list of do's and don'ts, but it's not. It's about the gospel life, the way brothers and sisters should live together in the church because they have been united to Christ. I believe the main idea in this morning's message is, with God's help, may we keep our eyes fixed on the mark, Christ Jesus, and leading us to our final goal of being preserved blameless at his coming. As we have gone through this letter, I believe Paul is saying true Christian faith changes everything. It should change everything we say and do. It should affect every area of our life. As believers, we are called to live differently. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. I believe in verses 12 through 28, Paul is giving practical guidelines on how we are to act towards, uh, towards the leaders of the church, towards other believers, and towards God. 
So let's get started with point one, how we're to act towards leaders of the church. Well, my illustration this morning is about sports. Now, most people enjoy sports, even though some would view some sports as not really being a true sport. So take soccer, for example. There would be those that would not consider soccer a true sport. Just saying. Now, second only to that would be bowling. Now, when it comes to bowling, there is a particular method of bowling called spot bowling. In 1933, Bill Knox wanted to demonstrate the technique of spot bowling in which you throw the ball at a mark on the floor just beyond the foul line. Now, Bill knew a bowler could throw more accurately when aiming at a mark that is closer rather than the pins far, far off. We will see in verse 12 that your leaders are pointers. We are pointing you to keep your eyes on the mark, Christ Jesus, who will guide us by his spirit to be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So take a look with me at verse 12 in your Bibles. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. God has placed leaders, I'm sorry, God has placed leaders within the church, pastors, elders, and overseers. The New Testament uses these terms for which we usually refer to as pastors. Now, scholars have long agreed that these terms, instead of indicating separate offices, they're used interchangeably. That is why on a Sunday morning, Tim, Alex, Josiah, Richard, and myself may introduce ourselves to our guests as one of the pastors. And then the next Sunday, we may introduce ourselves as one of the elders. We're not confused. <laughs> you see, elder is the office, and pastoring is what the elder does. They both represent the same office. Now, Paul writes, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. Trinity, your leaders labor among you. They work hard. Their labor involves anywhere from preparing sermons to counseling, baptizing, marrying, and burying, just to name a few. This all takes mental and emotional labor. Now, we continue to read in that verse and are over you in the Lord. Now, when you hear that, are over you in the Lord, what do you think of first? Do you think of, oh, that's nice, they're over me in the Lord? Or do you think of control and power, and you're immediately put on guard? Well, church, in this verse, it's not a charge of power. Gospel ministry must follow the pattern of Jesus Christ, who led by serving. We see that in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we look at the New Testament pattern of leadership, it is one in which Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, has delegated to under shepherds, pastors, elders, the responsibility to care for the flock in which he purchased with his own blood. Now, church, all of us are responsible to Jesus. It is the pastor, elder, that the responsibility of the congregation is entrusted. Hebrews 13, 17 says, 
Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So church, you're to position yourself to be pastored, to dive into the things that the elders deem important, like prayer, the different equipped classes, community groups, just to name a few. Now, community group leaders are an extension of the pastor elder. They play a vital role in the health and function of the body. So I want to thank just anyone that has served as a community group leader or are currently serving as a community group leader. You serve your church so well in doing that. Austin Williams is my community group leader. And Austin and his wife, Callie, are such a blessing to Pat and I and to our group. I know they're on vacation this week, but if they're watching live stream, thank you, Austin and Callie, for how you serve your group, you serve your church. Now, if you haven't expressed thanks to your community group leader, I would strongly encourage you to do so. And the best way to do that is by serving, investing yourself in your group, Your participation matters. So we read in Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, where does a pastor elder authority come from? Well, certainly not from men. uh, Their authority solely is granted on Scripture. Your obedience then is to God and not to men. Church, our American mentality has bled into our churches and even into our families and into our marriages. So many have polluted the truth of Scripture with their sinful interpretation of leadership. Our model is Christ. He led humbly and lovingly and did not waver on the truth. If your elders waver on the truth, they were not loving you. You see, Christ's church is not a democracy. Now, here at Trinity, we do have an affirmation process to where your input is highly valued and needed. Now, with that, I know that we have all heard of or experienced leadership failures, hurts, or damage from unbiblical leadership. Now, this can make us want to bail on 1 Timothy 5. But church, we, want to be, we don't want to be led by our experiences We want to be led by the word of God. Now, at the end of verse 12, we read, and admonish you. Now, you see, your leaders are charged with the responsibility to instruct believers in the area of their conduct. Now, one way this is accomplished is by God's preached word, what I'm doing right now. The neglect of this discipline diminishes the glory of the church. John L. Degg once said, it has been remarked that when disciplines leaves the church, Christ goes with it. Now, you might be thinking, well, admonish sounds kind of harsh. Well, admonish here, used here in Scripture, the word literally means to put in mind, to instruct and inspire you, reminding you of the truth that is easily forgotten. Trinity, your elders are to instruct you, to warn you, 
to point out trouble, to help you keep your feet on the right path. Leon Morris said, while his tone is brotherly, it's big brotherly. Paul gives an example of this type of admonishment when he described his relationship with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You see, it's not heavy-handedness. It's brotherly love. It's big brotherly love. Big brother caring for his little brother. Brother caring for his sister. Now, we have seen all through First Thessalonians, Paul's love and care for the church while being firm and unwilling to compromise. Josiah said in his message some weeks ago, as your pastors, our greatest concern is how is your walk with the Lord? So believer, how is your walk with the Lord? Now look with me at verse 13. And to esteem them very high, highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. Paul is saying, follow your leaders. You're not to exalt them. You're to respect them. You're not to despise them. You're to value them. You're not to take them for granted. You're to know them, to recognize them, to be aware of them. Church, know your leaders. Recognize that their work is important, and they should be highly esteemed for that reason. Pray for your leaders. They're just like you. They have different responsibility, but they're just like you. They have the same challenges, the same temptations, the same things that keep them up at night, the same challenges of family life. They have all that and will give account to God for the responsibility given. Church, there is only one perfect leader. There is only one authoritative shepherd. And there is only one foundation for the church. And his name is Jesus. Well, the end of verse 13 says, be at peace among yourselves. Now, this can be a warning against formation of cliques around human leaders, which can destroy peace. Every believer has enough flesh within him or her to divide any local church. It is only by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that we can develop the love, the kindness, and forgiveness that are indispensable for peace. Trinity, if we believe the gospel and we believe Christ has forgiven us, we should be able to work through our difficulties with respect for one another. Pride destroys peace, but the gospel brings peace and well-being. Now, for our visitors, you might be thinking at this point, what's going on at Trinity? <laughs> All this talk about obey your leaders, submit to your leaders. They're over you in the Lord and admonish you. Did the elders pick Rick to come up here and lay the law down this morning? <laughs> well, I'm happy to tell our visitors and our members nothing could be further from the truth. Trinity, let me encourage you with 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please, to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Church, I can speak on the behalf of the elders. It is a joy for us to point you to the mark, to point you 
to Christ our Lord. Well, many years ago, I was in the Army. Many, many years ago. And I was stationed in Germany. Now, at the base that I was stationed at, there was really only two things to do on your days off. You could go bowling or you could go drinking. Now, I was no good at either one, so I figured I'd better stick with bowling. It was a safer bet. Well, so me and some of my buddies, we, on our days off, we would go bowling every week that we had days off. And then one day, while bowling, one of my buddy, I think he was totally frustrated at my horrible bowling, said, Rick, you need to stop staring down those pins. You see this mark on the floor near the foul line? And this is a true story. I'm not just adding this for the illustration. He said, look at that mark. Focus on that mark, and you won't be distracted by the pins. So I did, and my bowling improved immensely. Now, I never became a great bowler, but I became a pretty good bowler just by focusing on that mark closer to me and not being distracted by the pins a long ways off. Now, Paul taught the Thessalonian Christians to focus their eyes on their actions, the day-to-day thoughts and actions that were in line with the goal, to be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this leads me to my second point, how we're to act towards other believers. Now, in verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul is now speaking to the whole church. He's addressing the whole family of God, not just the leadership of the church. As we look at verse 14, we see four imperatives. These are commands that make these actions our lifestyle. Now think about that for a minute. These four things, we want to make them our lifestyle. To admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So let's start with admonish the idle. Now we talked about it earlier. Admonish is not harsh rebuke. Instead, it's imparting a caring warning against danger. So I'd like to take a look at the word idle here. Now, scholars have translated idle anywhere from unruly to disorderly to loafing. Church, as a gospel community, we need to care for each other. We need to hold each other up. We need to be for our brothers and sisters. Now, that is the opposite of being idle, unruly, disorderly, or loafing. Church, we are to be responsible, contributing members of the body. Matthew Imadi wrote in his book, an illustration in his book entitled, How Can I Serve My Church? It's a small little book, a lot of good stuff in this little book. I can highly recommend it. How Can I Serve My Church? In it, he wrote, During World War II, ordinary American citizens rationed consumer goods, recycled materials, and kept factories running night and day. They sacrificed much because they knew the stakes. Do we? Do we realize that we are citizens of Christ's kingdom? Do we realize our churches are outposts of the kingdom on the front lines of a spiritual battle? 
refusing to serve the church would be like a soldier pulling up a chair to sip Kool-Aid while he watches his comrades fight the war. Church, we all need to ask ourselves, me included, how can we grow as contributing members in the family of God? Well, secondly, encourage the faint-hearted. Now, this literally means to come close to a person's side and to speak to them in a friendly way. Paul, Savanius, and Timothy modeled this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know how, like, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So church, they're your brothers and sisters who may have become discouraged. Maybe they're struggling with sin and feeling condemnation and need to be reminded of the debt that has been paid. They may be facing difficulties in their families, in their jobs, in their marriages. Maybe they just experienced the loss of a loved one. Church, we are not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but we're to weep with those who weep. And then thirdly, help the weak. It literally means to hold on by, to keep close to. Now, this could be a physical need, like a sickness. It could be an economic need. It could also be what Romans 14.1 describes as weak in the faith. Trinity, may we be a community of believers who are aware of the physical needs of our brothers and sisters around us. And may we also be willing to reach out to those who are struggling in their faith. Be willing to make that phone call to another brother and sister. Be willing to sit down and have a cup of coffee, in my case, tea. Be willing to go to lunch with another brother or sister or with another couple. May the gospel be on display at Trinity. And then lastly, be patient with them all. Now, this is prolonged restraint of emotion, anger, or agitation. It is the willingness to keep trying over and over again. I know my dear wife has to practice that often with me. So your husband or your wife sins against you again as having that long temper as opposed to the short temper. Your child disobeys you once again. It's not giving in to that short temper. And I really don't even want to bring up driving. It's having restraint, long temper. May we be patient as we're reminded of how patient our Father in heaven has been with us. And then verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Have you ever tried to reach out to someone to minister to them and they just flat out rejected your efforts? Now, when that happens, we want to be reminded of verse 14. We want to care for one another even when that care may be rejected. I know there's been times in my life where I've rejected help from others. And I'm so glad they didn't repay evil for evil. 
but instead they were long-suffering. They came alongside of me, encouraged me in the faith, pointed me to truth. They were long-suffering. They had that long temper. Church, let me ask you, how do you need to grow in these four imperatives? To admonish, encourage, to help, be patient. Is the Holy Spirit putting someone on your mind in reference to one of these imperatives? Is repentance needed? Trinity, may the Lord grow us in caring and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. May those around us see God's love in us. May we be the church, a gospel church. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that after church today, you go bowling. Now, I know for Justin, he may be a little bothered by this because the last few days, him and his wife went bowling, and Mikel kind of whooped up on him a little bit. I'm going to give you some pointers, son. Well, at this bowling alley, just imagine there's been a screen placed across the lane just after the mark on the floor near the foul line. So it's blocking your view of the pins. You cannot see the pins. Now, that's exactly what Bill Knox did in his demonstration. Now, you might think that's going to make this game an impossible task. And you're right. Unless you focus on the mark just before the screen, hiding the pins. You see, all that we have covered thus far, how to act towards leaders and believers are an impossible task. Unless we're guided by the Holy Spirit, the mark. The Spirit must teach us and lead us as we seek to obey God's commands. We're doing this with blind faith, not knowing the outcome of what we're called to do. Paul's charge is not motivated on the outcome, but by obedience to the calling. So let's keep that in mind as we look at how we're to act towards God. That's my third and final point. And Paul gives us three commands in verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. So first, let's look at rejoice always. So it's to be joyful. The word perhaps should be translated, be cheerful. Do not let things get you down. Society is filled with gloom and despair. Every day I go to work, I see this firsthand in my job in law enforcement. Church, let me remind you of who Paul is writing to. The Thessalonian church, he's writing to Christians there. Think back at the hardships of the, the Thessalonians have faced. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 6, for you received the word in much affliction. The Thessalonians had severe suffering, great hardship, pain, and misery. Now, if you've lived for very long, you've had hardship. It may not look like the Thessalonians, but they're real hardships. Just as Paul was assuring the Thessalonians, he's assuring us that the gospel is good news, glad tidings of great joy. The gospel puts a gladness into the heart which no change of circumstance can take away. You see, church, the rejoicing is not primarily in your circumstances, but in God and his promises. If you're a believer, 
the pain and suffering you experience in this life, and I know it can be hard and it can be intense at times, but the pain and suffering you experience in this life, it's short. It's a blink of an eye. Believer, your future is an eternity of everlasting joy, unspeakable joy that is only because of the perfect one who died for our sins. Let's not forget how the gospel was announced in Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. An angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was amazing, amazing news. Christ had come into the world. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ died in order to pay a ransom that we could have never have paid. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You see, Christ died for our sins, not his own, because he had none. His death was a ransom for us that we could never pay for ourselves. Now, in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Your ransom would not have been paid if Christ was not raised from the dead. The living God, the creator, the king of the universe came in his son, Jesus, the Messiah. And he has died for our sins and has been raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Amazing. Rejoice always, church. Now, Paul follows that up with pray without ceasing. Now, pray without ceasing doesn't mean verbally or mentally we must be speaking prayers every minute of the day. It is a deep dependence on Christ woven into a heart of faith. So even when we're not speaking consciously to God, there is a spirit a prayer continuously in our living and believing. It is awareness that we are in his presence all through the day. You see, our default through the day should be, oh God, and then fill in the blank, whatever situation you're in that time, at that time. Romans 9, correction, Romans 1, 9, Paul says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. So Paul is praying repeatedly for the Romans, mentioning them over and over again. Pray without ceasing is not giving up on prayer. Church, may we never give up on looking to our God for help. So how do you view your prayer life? Do you have regular times of prayer? Without regular times of prayer, you will not have that moment-by-moment moment spontaneous prayer with God. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you stop praying for a certain person, a certain situation? 
Maybe you're at a point where you just think it's no use in praying. Paul mentioned the Romans over and over and often. Don't abandon the God of hope by your lack of prayers. Go on, lean in to God. Never give up looking to him for help. We need to come to him repeatedly and often. We need to pray without ceasing. And then give thanks in all circumstances. The opposite of giving thanks is grumbling and complaining. Boy, how I was convicted as I was preparing this message, especially this particular person, because I contend to grumble and complain, especially in my job. Paul addresses this in his letter in the Philippians. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as a light in the world. Church, give thanks in all circumstances, even when life is hard. When we're faced with hardships, difficult circumstances, things are not going our way. We are being given an opportunity to glorify God in it. When the early Christian leaders were arrested by the Sanhedrin and beaten for their faith, how did they respond? Did they leave the council grumbling or complaining? No, they left rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his namesake. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Trinity, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered what God's will is for you in your particular circumstances? I know I have. That's a million-dollar question. And the answer is right here in front of us. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now Paul addresses the importance of building one another up in God's word. We see that in verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I believe the main, here, main issue here that Paul's addressing is prophecy. The type of prophecy that must be tested and compared with God's word. God's word is unchangeable. Nothing, nothing can be added or taken away from it. We must test what is said to what has already been revealed, God's word. Church, that's why, if you notice, during our worship time, we have a ministry mic. We have the ministry mic because we want every word that's brought to that mic to be in submission to the word of God. They need to be tested. We must submit to God's word as our final authority. So maybe you hear a sermon or you're given advice by a friend who says, God told me to tell you, fill in the blank. Well, it's got to be tested. 
Is it in line with God's word? Gordon Fee said, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test them all. Hold fast to what is good. Reject whatever is harmful. So if we receive counsel from someone and it's good and in line with scripture, hold fast to it. But if the counsel is harmful and not in line with scripture, you must reject it. Church, this goes for the preaching and teaching from the pulpit. It must be scriptural. Now, this will become even more clear when we get to 2 Thessalonians. Well, in conclusion, as we come to the end of Paul's letter, I believe we have heard Paul's concerns regarding our doctrine and our life, what we believe and how we live. Paul has been exhorting us to live a life that loves our brothers and sisters in the church and a life of hope that is confident in the future. Trinity, as Alex preached so well last week, may our life be one of faith, love, and hope. We know this is possible because of God's promise. And we see that in Paul's concluding words in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Trinity, all that we do must be rooted in the gospel. Paul was chased out of Thessalonica, but he had confidence in God to continue the work and transformation of the Christians there. Paul wants to encourage us that God has promised he will continue the work in our lives as well. Just look at verse 24. He, God, who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Church, God is faithful and he will finish what he started. Bill Knox in 1933 in the Philadelphia bowling alley knew that if he could aim at a mark close to him, he could keep his focus and not be distracted. Well, he proved that with 12 strikes in a row, bowling a perfect game. Well, one of the essential benefits of the local church is having community around us to keep us focused on the mark. Our Lord and Savior, the perfect one, who will guide us by his spirit to be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, do you have pastor elders watching over you? Are you in community with other believers who know you and are part of your journey? Are you building relationships in the church? The in-community life has a greater potential to be challenged, exhorted, and encouraged to be what Christ wants you to be. So ask yourself, what does community look like for you? Verses 25 through 28 says, Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So church, pray for us, your leaders. Pray for each other. Pray that God's spirit will guide you and strengthen you and will give you a joy that will bring glory to our God. So church, let's stand and worship our Lord and Savior this morning.